This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Stay tuned and visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. And we've been in our series, we started a couple of weeks ago um, with this series, this is the third Sunday in it, and, and two Sundays ago, the title of our message was Good News, Bad News, Good News. And we sandwiched in the bad news with the good news. Uh, today I want to start with bad news. The bad news, and this comes from the weatherman, the bad news is we're going to set another record today, a record high today. That's the bad news. But there is good news. He says tomorrow is going to be 10 degrees cooler. How about that? So yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to tomorrow. Please come quickly. All right. Um, when was the last time that this thought entered your mind? When was the last time this thought entered your mind? That's not fair. Now, how many of you today are or have been parents of teenagers? Raise your hand. You hear that phrase frequently around your house, don't you? That's not fair. Not fair. There is something that is within every single one of us that knows fairness is a good thing. In a perfect world, everything would be fair. At the same time, those of us that have been around the block a time or two, and that's why, you know, young people, they always want to say, that's not fair because they've not yet been around, they've not yet been around the block like some of us who are a little bit more mature have, and we realize that the longer that we live, the more we understand this reality. Life's not always fair. Life doesn't always do what we think should be the right thing. Life's not always fair. But that's not God's fault. I'll bet everybody in this room has had to suffer the consequences at one time or another of someone else's mistake, of someone else's poor judgment. And we don't like it. It's not fair. We want fairness. That's what we want. I want to suggest to you this morning that fairness is not necessarily the best option. Maybe it's not fairness that I really want. Being fair, by the way, is one of the character qualities of our God. He is just and he's fair in his judgments. We're going to read, I'm going to ask you for our guests, I'm going to ask you occasionally to read some scripture out loud with me. And last week we did this, and, and in the first gathering we read a scripture and everybody was just real quiet and calm like we were in an Episcopal church or something. And so they were just, and, and I said, hey, you know what, let's, when we read the scripture, let's use our outdoor voice. And they all understood that. So we're going to read some scriptures about God, about the fact that God is just and fair in his judgment. Psalm 9, verse 8, read this with me. He will judge the world with justice and rule the nations with fairness. He will judge the world with justice and rule the world with fairness. That's our God. The Bible says he's impartial. Jesus, who was God in human form, had a reputation. In the years of his ministry, the reputation that he built, the testimony that he built about himself, even among those who didn't like him, even among his enemies, his reputation was this. You are fair. You are impartial. In fact, Mark chapter 12, verse 14, the Pharisees, the guys who ended up would be the ones that, who, who had him arrested, they said, hey, you know, we're going to tell you the truth. You are impartial and don't play favorites. Why? Because God doesn't. God is fair in everything. 
But we also need to remember that the things that happen in this life that are unfair are not because something changed about God that changed his character. It's not that at all. Even those, uh, you know, even those unfair things that happen, when they happen in our lives, it's not God's fault. It's a part of our fallen world that rejected God. Now, today is our third message in this series, A Matter of Life and Death, from Romans chapter 5, verse 8. And, and what, what Paul is going to do here, beginning in verse 1, he's going to take us back uh, to, to the very beginning. He's going to take us back to a moment in history when someone else made a choice for us. How many of you like for somebody else to make your choices for us? I used to hate it when my mom, about this time of year, maybe a little bit farther into August, would say, okay, Ricky, let's go buy new school clothes. And I would hate that because every little boy hates going to the department store with his mom and her holding up the clothes, you know, and, and you know, there's other people looking, mom, and she holds these, you know, I, I want you to, I don't want to wear that, mom. You know, and, and we want to, we even from, we want to choose for ourselves. You ever watch that show, Say Yes to the Dress? My wife's in the wedding business in the floral and, and, and all that decor business. And so every now and then, I, I, somehow I lose control of the remote, and that show is on our television. And so I, I have, to, have to watch it. I'm being mutually submissive, you know. And so I have to watch that show. And, and you know, I watch that show, and, and typically, you know, the, the a bride goes to this store up in New York City where the dresses cost a gazillion dollars, and they go in and they try on all these dresses, and they come out of the dressing room, and they parade the dress around and stand up in front of their mother. What bride wants mom to choose her dress? Let's be honest. Bride wants to choose her own dress. And these mothers. But what? The, guy, the guys are laughing. They know. But here's what really gets me. Sometimes I watch that show, and it's not just the mom and, and the best friend, and the best friend's best friend, and all the bridesmaids, which really complicates everything. But sometimes you watch that show, and the father of the bride is in there as well. And I want to lean my head into the screen of the TV and say, dude, run! Get out of there! We want to make our own choices. Adam's going to take us all the way back to the story of the original man and woman, Adam and Eve. Look, I want you to look at this verse, Romans chapter 12, verse 5. Let's read it together. Read it with me. When Adam sinned, sin entered the entire human race. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. When Adam sinned, sin spread to who? Everyone. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Now the question is, buddy, you're studying to be a theologian here, when did everyone sin? And Paul's going to tell us everyone sinned in Adam. So you were thinking about that first time that you told a lie. 
You're thinking about that first time that you, you tripped your little sister and laughed. You're thinking about, you know, when you were a kid and you did something that you're, you got punished for. That's, the, that's when I sinned. That's not what we're talking about today. We're going to get into some stuff today to help us realize why we are like we are and what God's done about it. Have you ever read the story of Adam and Eve there in Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3 especially? And, and you ever want to replace Adam with you? When, when I read Bible stories, especially if I'm studying to prepare a message or to teach, when I read Bible stories, I like to try to, to, to interject myself into that story and place myself either in the crowd or, or if I was the, the main character in this story, how would I have responded? How would, what would I have thought? What would I have done in all these different situations? And it kind of helps me understand and helps me teach. And, and so I read these things and I think, how would I have done things differently? Have you ever thought, well, if I had been Adam, or you ladies, if I had been Eve, if I had been Adam, you know what? You ever thought this? We wouldn't be in this pickle we're in today right now. I would have had the sense enough to know that if a snake is talking to me, I need to quickly walk away. I mean, I know snakes, they're not supposed to talk. So get out of there. I would have been strong enough to say no to the temptation. I mean, look at all the trouble they caused. I wouldn't have blown it like they did. Have you ever wondered how you would have done in that scenario? But the fact is we weren't there. Adam was. And Adam's sin did cause trouble. Not just for Adam and Eve, it changed everything for all of us who have ever been born. Let me illustrate. This comes from Genesis chapter 3 and that story. Because of Adam, here's some of the things that we get. Thanks, Adam. We get, number one, we get to make similar bad choices when we know better. We get to make similar bad choices when we know better. Who hasn't done something that, that you know is the wrong thing to do, and then, but you do it anyway, and after you do it, you say, oh, what in the world was I thinking? Why did I do that? Anybody ever beside me have that experience? The answer is in the scripture right here, and the answer why you did that is this, because I'm in Adam, because I'm like Adam, because I'm on Adam's team. That's why I do that. We make similar bad choices when we know better. Because of Adam, we get suffering and pain. You know, that whole story about, and God said to, to Eve, and because of what you've done, you're going to, when you have, when you bear children, Eve, it's going to be uncomfortable. And the ladies are chuckling. Suffering and pain are the result of Adam and Eve and what they did. Because of Adam, we get to work hard for survival. We've got to work hard to make it. You think about this. Up to this point, Adam was on perpetual vacation. All he had to do in life, God gave him this one. He, God gave him two jobs. God said, go name all the animals. Well, some of you would say, oh, that sounds like so much fun. You get to go name all the animals. And Adam went around and he named all the animals. And all, maybe all the girls, you know, you, you know, that you like to do that. You know, get to name all the animals. And then God said, and be fruitful and multiply. And all the guys said, yeah, I like that one too. So God said, you get to do two things. 
in this garden. That's all you've got to do, Adam. He didn't have to work for anything. God provided his every need. All Adam had to do was enjoy God's creation. Because of Adam, we get sand spurs in our lawns. Now, if you don't live on the Outer Banks, you may say, what in the world is that about? Um, if you don't know, after we're done here today, I want you to take your shoes off and just walk through our front yard, okay? And then you'll figure it out, and you can blame Adam as you say bad things about him, okay? Weeds, pests, all the result of Adam's sin. Because of Adam, we get shame. You know, up to this point, they were innocent. Sin opened up their eyes to some things and brought shame to them, and that part of the nature of being ashamed is passed down to us from Adam. But most of all, from Adam, we get death. You know, I can survive bad choices, and I can survive suffering and pain, and I can survive hard work, and I can survive sand spurs and weeds, and I can survive shame. But you know what the one thing that I can't survive is death. None of us can. And it's passed down to all of us because of Adam's sin. Death is the ultimate cost of Adam's choice that I have to deal with. Now, I know nobody wants to talk about death, and some of you are here thinking, you know what, here I am on vacation, I'm going to have fun all this week, and the first thing we do is come to this church, and this guy was talking about dying. I knew we should have gone to that church up the road. But the fact is, death is a fact of life that's inescapable. And some of us here will die of disease, some will die in an accident, some of us may die at our own hands or at the hands of someone else. Some may die defending freedom, some will die old, some will die young, but we all will die. And it's all because of our common ancestor, Adam. Now, you think about all that, all those things we get because of Adam. Wouldn't you like to sit down just for a moment and have a word or two with him? (laughs) Gee, thanks a lot. But do you think do you think that Adam had an inkling of the mess that he was making for all of humanity when he ate the fruit that God had forbidden? Do you think that as he held that fruit in his hand that Eve had given him and he was getting ready to take a bite, he thought, you know what? I am going to so mess up mankind forever by doing this. <laughs> And you think he thought that way? I don't really think so. My hunch is that Adam did what, what we do when we commit a sin. And that is Adam lived for the moment. But when we live for the moment, we're not considering the waves we create and the consequences that we bring. My guess is if if Adam could stand here in front of us, if I could say, and by the way, folks, this morning to kind of illustrate and talk a little bit about what we're talking about this morning about Adam and, and all the things of death and, that death he, that he brought on us, uh, guess who's here to talk with us this morning? And, and Adam came through the door and stood before us. And we would know it was him because he's wearing leaves around his loins, you know? And Adam could, and stood, if he, Adam could stand here and talk to you and me, I really believe that he would stand in front of us and he would very quickly say, I am so sorry. 
I was first. I had the chance to do things right, and I didn't. And because of my selfish desire, I ruined everyone's lives. You talk about somebody who bore a burden of guilt. It was Adam. And Paul tells us that because Adam sinned, we all sin. Now we could say this, say it this way. And if you're taking notes, jot this down. Sin is in our spiritual and moral DNA. You can't see it with a microscope. A microscope sees physical things, but it's a spiritually genetic fault every one of us shares. And the result of Adam's sin was and is death. But before we get too upset with Adam, I'm a little bit upset with him now, right? I'm worked up. Before we get too upset with Adam and we cry, unfair, I didn't choose that. He chose it, and now i got to pay the consequence. That's not fair. Before we go that route, the truth is we can't blame our sins on Adam. Why? Here's the next point in your notes. Because we all choose to sin. We all choose to sin. Nobody makes me sin. You can't make me do the wrong thing. You can't. You know, you just can't. I mean, I do it because, okay, I'll, I'm, there may be pressure and, and all the rest, you know, peer pressure and whatever, but you can't make me do that. But every time I choose to sin, it's like saying, I'm on Adam's team. And I confirm that I'm on Adam's team, and, and I, don't, I can't speak for you. I can only speak for me. I can't confirm, I can confirm that I'm on Adam's team and I do it too often, I find because I repeat the same mistakes. It's not like I committed this sin when I was a little boy. And I said, oh, this was bad. And I, you know, maybe I got punished by my parents for it and, and I realized this broke God's heart. And I committed that sin and I said, that's it. I will never do this again. You know what I'm discovering in my life? I'm 54 years old I'm doing some of the same dumb things that I've been doing my whole life. Do it again, and every time, you know, it's kind of, what was I thinking? Why do I do that? And the reason that I do that is because I am on Adam's team. In Adam. So before I cry unfair... I better take a good look in the mirror, and if I do, I have to admit that although Adam might have started it all, I have to confess this, I haven't done a whole lot in my life to stop it. So how unfair is it? And do I really want fair? We've been talking the past couple weeks about our status with God and how by faith in Christ our status changes. And we've talked about the position where we stand and our position is move from wrong to right, from foe of God to friend of God, from being utterly helpless, as Paul said last week earlier in chapter 5, to being placed in this position of highest privilege because of Jesus. And now Paul adds another view of where everyone stands Before Jesus becomes that person's savior, we all stand in this place. He says, we are all born in Adam, all of us. Now, here's where the theology comes in. 
We've got some of you that you like this kind of stuff. And we really all ought to be theologians, to be honest with you. There's nothing wrong with theology. It's an understanding of God. Here's where the theology comes in. First of all, Adam represents all of humanity. He represents us. And the term the theologians use sounds like a term that reminds us of government. And the theologians say Adam is the federal head of humanity. The federal head of You ever heard that before, buddy? You should say, no, Pastor Rick, but this is good stuff. Thank you. The federal head of humanity, and and to think of federal, you know, you've been to Washington, D.C., maybe, and and you you go and you walk around the mall there in Constitution Avenue, and, and you see all the federal buildings, the Department of Justice and Labor and Commerce and Interior and the White House and the Capitol building. Those are all federal buildings, and those elected officials who make up the federal government represent all of us, like it or not. And that's what that word federal means, a representative. So as the first man, and the, by the way, the little Hebrew for you here today, the, the Hebrew word for man is Adam. So the very first man, Adam, sinned. And the penalty for his sin was put on all of us because we are represented by him and because we all sin. And so God, as he, if you imagine God looking down at all of humanity on the earth, he sees all mankind, and he sees us positionally where we stand in Adam as sinners, helpless and dying, and it broke God's heart because he loves us. Paul equates the, the power of sin and death over mankind. He says it's, that power of sin and death was our ruler, like a king that has a reign over a nation. So the next point there is that in Adam, we're under the control of sin and the death it brings. Adam represents all of us. We're under the control of sin and death. But don't get angry with God because God's not the one who sinned. Adam did. And we have as well. So when God said to Adam, hey, And this is what God said, if you sin, you will die. God was being fair about it to us. How fair would it have been for him to say, okay, Adam, if you sin, you die. But to say to all of us this morning, but hey, you know what? Not you. You can sin all you want, but there's no penalty for that. Would that have been fair to Adam? Of course not. And God is consistently what? Fair and impartial. So because Adam sinned, we sin, but because we sin, we die as well. That's God just simply being fair and being just. So it's not unfair that we're penalized for Adam, like Adam, for our own sin. It is fair. But God, next point, is always also full of grace and mercy. Again, don't forget, God created Adam and Eve. The human race was God's idea, and he loves us. And he had the solution to get us out of being in Adam and ruled by sin and death. He said, I I know what to do to get you out of this place and get you into a better place. And the solution was Jesus Christ. Look with me at verse 13, Romans chapter 5. 
Yes, people sinned even before the law was given. Before the Ten Commandments, people still sinned back then. And even though there was no law, no written law to break since it had not yet been given, they all died anyway. Why? Because they were in Adam. Even though they did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. The explicit commandment Adam disobeyed was what? Don't eat from that tree. What a contrast between Adam and Christ, who is yet to come, and what a difference between our sin and God's generous gift of forgiveness. For this one man, Adam, brought death to many through his sin, but this other man, Jesus Christ, brought forgiveness to many through God's bountiful gift. You see, if, if one man, Adam, with one wrong act, ruined it for all of us, then God says the solution is that one man, another man, Jesus Christ, would make it possible for Adam's descendants, that's us, to be restored to God by one righteous act of obedience. To help us understand what God has done, in verses 16 through 21, Paul paints a picture of contrasts. Follow with me there. Don't you realize that whatever you choose to obey, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong chapter. Chapter 5, I'm looking at chapter 6. That's in two weeks. Chapter 5, verse 16. Is that where I am? Thank you. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin, Adam's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but we have the free gift of being accepted by God, even though we are guilty of many sins. The sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over us, but all who receive God's wonderful, gracious gift of righteousness will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin. Do you ever stop and realize how one mistake can really mess things up in your life? This guy is one mistake, one sin. Adam's one sin brought condemnation upon everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness makes all people right in God's sight and gives them life. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners, but because one other person obeyed God, many people will be made right in God's sight. God's law was given so that people could see how sinful they were. That's why he gave the Ten Commandments. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful kindness became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful kindness rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Look at this picture of contrast, if you will. You have on one side Adam, and you have on the other side Christ. In Christ in Adam, in Adam, in Christ, what do we get? In Adam, Paul says, we get sin. In Christ, he says, we get obedience, that he obeyed, Jesus did, went to the cross. And that, in turn, gives me the freedom to live a life of obedience myself and not rebellion. In Adam, life ends, talking about physical death. Here's, here's a great thought. The moment you were born, you started to die. Isn't that awesome? The moment you were born, you, st- you, you just you popped out and headed down toward death. 
That's, that's how life is. That's because of Adam. But Jesus, in Christ, life begins. Everything's made new. Jesus described it to an elderly man one time. He says, hey, he says, it's a new birth. You get to start over with me. In Adam, we get guilt. We know we've done wrong. In Christ, we get justification. That's a long word that simply means this. Jesus took my, my guilt, my sin, upon himself, and God then sees me as though I had never sinned. God pronounces me not guilty. In Adam, we got condemnation, judged guilty by God. In Jesus, we get forgiveness. That gives me the freedom from the guilt. In Adam, he says, sin ruled and controlled our lives. What that means is this, and I think we've all experienced this. Every single one of us, the things that are in our lives that we know shouldn't be there and the things that we do we know we shouldn't do, every single one of us in our heart of heart says, I wish I could quit doing that. Whether it's a habit or a lifestyle or whatever, an attitude, I wish I could quit that. Don't you? I do. That's being an Adam. I, I want to quit, but I can't. In Christ, grace rules. Grace empowers me to say, I don't have to do that. No, I'm not going to yield to that temptation. In Adam, we got eternal death. The ultimate penalty of our sin and rebellion against God is, is hell forever. Yet in Christ, we get eternal life. He guarantees us, you'll live with me in heaven forever. Now you take a look at those two sides of that chart. In Adam and in Christ, and ask yourself this question. Okay, which one of those is the best side to be on? Adam's side or Christ's side? You know, folks, it doesn't take a whole lot of intelligence to look at those two and say, yeah, I think it's better to be in Christ. Look again, verse 17 The sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over us. But listen, all who receive God's wonderful, gracious gift of righteousness will will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. John explained it this way in his gospel. In chapter 1, verse 12, As many as received him, Jesus, to them he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. What's the Bible saying here? Paul says it, John says it, it's all through the Bible here, through the New Testament. By receiving Jesus Christ, which John says receiving him is the same as believing in him. You receive him, you believe in him as the way to become a child of God. When you do that, you are literally transferred from being in Adam to being in Christ. And a way to help us understand how Jesus came to undo what Adam had done is to see Jesus coming on the scene as the second Adam, starting a new creation. And all who will believe in him get to be part of that new creation that God wants to do and get in on all that's available through him. Listen to this song. It talks about being in Christ.
I think I would be standing up shouting after hearing all that. Another cup of coffee for you guys. All right. What does that mean to you in Christ? I was curious about what this means in Christ, so I went to the Scripture and I did a search to find out what the Bible says we gain by being in Christ. You want to do a fun study, a fun Bible study? Get your concordance out and look up the little phrase, in Christ. And then start doing a study and finding out all the things the Bible says you have in Christ. So I started doing that, and and there's a huge list, way too many to share in this uh, time that we have left this morning. But I did find between Romans 8, verse 1, where we'll be in a couple of weeks, and Ephesians chapter 3, I found 15 of them at least. Let me just throw them at you and, and kind of think about some of these things. When you are in Christ, you will never, ever, ever again be condemned for your sin. When you're in Christ, you have no excuse for being alone. 
When you're in Christ, you're a part of a team of committed co-workers. You are set apart for a special purpose. You will be resurrected from the grave. You mean like Jesus? Yeah. In Christ, because you're in Christ, you're a winner, not a loser. In Christ, you've been made a new creation and your past is gone. In Christ, you're free from religion's slavery. In Christ, you're on equal ground with other believers. In Christ, you have all of God's blessings. In Christ, you won't be left out or left behind. In Christ, God directs his kindness to you. In Christ, you were created for a higher purpose. And in Christ, because you're in him, you get in on his inheritance. He inherits all from his father, and if you're in Christ, you get in on that. But wait, because I know some of you are thinking deeply right now. Okay, if by believing in in Jesus, I'm transferred from being in Adam to being in Christ, here's my question. Why do I still struggle with sin? If I'm moved from there to here, why do I still struggle with sin? With sin, and, and and you know, if I'm no longer in that, if I've been moved to being, I'm still going to die, right? How does that all work? The simple answer is this when you move to becoming a part of Christ's team by trusting Jesus as your Savior and God places you in Him, now there is for the rest of your life on this earth, there is a competition for your life every day. And the devil, the enemy of God, the enemy of Christ, and now the enemy of you, knows your eternity has been secured in Christ. And he knows that one day you're going to go to heaven, and in heaven there will be no more temptation. There will be no more pain. There will be no more of the consequences of Adam's sin. In fact, the scripture tells us that in Revelation 21, verse 4. It says, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There will be no more pain. Why? For the former things, the things that were in Adam, have what? Passed away. They're gone. The reality, I've heard preachers, you know, these evangelists, and they like to come up with these pithy sayings. You know, they talk about, you know, one of these days we're going to live in the sweet by and by, but now we have to live in the nasty now and now. The reality is this. We live in a world that's still corrupted by the former things, which means the result of sin. Temptation, I don't know about you, but it's around me all the time. And I still live in this body that's affected by sin. I had a great Facebook experience yesterday. Somebody popped up. I wanted to be my friend on Facebook. This, I never heard of this name before. I don't know this person. Clicked on C. We don't have any mutual friends. So I found out who is. I don't know this person. So I said, ignore. I do that a lot. Well, then I clicked open my messages, and there's a message to me from this person saying, Aloha, Rick. You look great. That time that, that, that you and Dale spent with us in Hawaii changed my life. Thank you for your ministry there. And I realized she's talking about my dad. 
See, my dad and I have the same name. She looked at this picture of me and said, Dad, go on, Rick, you look awesome. So I emailed her, sent her a message back, and I said, well, I'll tell Dad you think he looks so good. I still live in this body that is getting older by the day, and it is, it is affected by sin. One day, all that will change. We'll be resurrected and given new bodies, and we will be transported to a new home that is untouched by sin. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org.